Good day, change cultivators. Thanks for coming back and joining us for another episode as we help everybody explore the areas of disruption and change and what you have to do to be a great leader and drive a team through the dynamics of change. And as we all know, the world for almost all of us involves some aspect of large-scale organizational change. My name is Patrick Fitzmorris. As you may know, I am a CEO of a consulting firm called Caterpillar Farm, where we have a specialty in change activation. And I am once again tickled to be here with my co-host, Rosin Boy. Roz, hello to you. Hi, Patrick. Good to be back on the show. To our listeners, I am a, a reputational specialist and, and change management specialist and very excited to have another PR colleague, uh, Paddy, who has a background in, in comms and PR, to be with us on the show today. Paddy, welcome. Thank you so much. Thrilled to be here. Awesome. And Patty, thank you so much for taking the invitation to join us. And I know I could I could regale our listeners with your bio and, and what your areas of expertise are. And certainly I'm, I have been a longtime fan of Duarte Communications and the work that you guys do. But it might be easiest for you to guest tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, your background and kind of uh, I, I, they may not know why we're so excited to have you, but maybe by hearing a little bit more from you, they'll get more excited. Absolutely. Well, I am a change uh, leader, change advisor, working with organizations and, and their leaders who are trying to make big things happen. And fundamentally, that just means I'm a consultant. I, I do some research, I give some advice, and uh, and then I get to uh, cheer them on from the audience when they're successful in their communication efforts. And I've uh, been doing this over 30 years. I'm a child of the 80s, and, uh, and I'm just a student of story. I, I love listening to stories, studying stories, and even telling stories sometimes. And, and for the one or two listeners of ours who might not understand what Duarte does, um, give a little bit about that, right? Because again, I, I, you and I talked last week, and part of why I got fascinated with having you on is I, I, I love the work that you guys do from a communications and storytelling standpoint. I, I love the new work that you're doing with Illuminate and those kinds of things. So maybe give a little bit of an idea of what that does, and then maybe Roz will take us into some, some chunky content that we can dig into. Sounds great. Well, Duarte is is a place I was a fan of, you know, 20 years ago or more. Uh, the company was founded a little over 30 years ago by Nancy Duarte and her husband, Mark. And uh, it's a communication firm. What we do is we help people express their ideas in a really clear and powerful ways. Uh, we do that through creative services and also training and coaching that essentially gets people ready for high stakes situations where they're trying to persuade people. And, uh, you know, I've I've been following Nancy for years, love her TED Talk, love every book she's ever put out. And so I was really honored to be able to actually co-author a, a book with her, which you mentioned already, Illuminate. Super. Thank you for that. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to hearing a little bit more about the book um, in a bit. But before we get there, um, you know, one of the things, and, and you and I have spoken, you know, we've both been in, you know, that comms role and, and spent time with, with uh you know, looking at, at leaders and teams and, and organizational change. And one thing, one way of looking at it is really from a business point of view to start off with the with the macro view, you know, of how to drive and 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 direct a business. But then really the operational side comes in when you break it down into those bite-sized pieces and concepts that then you use to take the teams and, and the ecosystem along the journey with us. Now, one of the things uh, you guys focus on quite a lot is this concept of movements. Um, and I'd love you just to share, uh, you know, your thinking at Duarte around uh, this concept and also how it informs leaders, 
and how they should use that to lead during times of, of change and disruption? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, it's it's a topic that started to be a part of a lot of conversations we had with leaders several years ago, you know, pre-pandemic even, uh, five or six years ago, I had a leader come to me, it was one of our customers, and said, I've got a really big idea. And I said, well, that's great. You know, let's talk about your message. He said, no, 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 it's not just, it's not just something I need help messaging. This is a really, really big idea. I want to create a movement around it. And that's actually the, the what you call in story an inciting incident that launched me and Nancy on the path of researching movements. So, uh, and, and what I learned in that experience was that well, first of all, we do experience movements in our daily lives. They've, they have led to major changes all around us. You know, in the technology industry, there have been movements like the movement to open source or you know, the movement from one sort of computing platform to another. But more universally, we experience movements in society and in politics when essentially a group of people mobilizes around an issue. And they start to uh, kind of drive the conversation around this issue in Investigate dialogue and 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 debate around a topic, and you start to see sort of visible signs that this idea, this topic, is getting a groundswell of support. You know, if you think about movements in in our social lives, we certainly have seen them uh, in in the past year. Uh, social justice, uh, you know, uh, racial justice. Uh, economic justice, our movements that climate justice, our movements that are very active right now. And if you just open your eyes and ears to the kinds of things that people are saying when they're advocating for these issues, notice the sorts of communication tools that they're using, you'll start to see patterns. And a lot of it has to do with story. Thinking about not creating change, but creating a movement. So, and I love your word, and I would ask every one of our listeners to fight an inciting incident, right? Somebody saying, I don't necessarily want to go create change. I don't want to drive my team in a new direction. I want to create a movement. And that's cool. Like years ago, I had a client, and we were about to run a brainstorming session with them. Um, and and I was sitting in his office, and I didn't know him that well. And I looked across, I looked at his, as his art behind him, and he had a copy of the hand copy of the, a little kind of poster of the of the Declaration of Independence from the United States. And he had something else. And I'll only touch on one. Um, and I literally said, why do you have that, hang that on your wall? Like, what's the purpose of that? Are you like super patriotic, which is cool? And he's like, think about it. A bunch of people were leading an effort that said, we're tired of how things are today. And somebody said, let's go start a country. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's a movement, right? Like that's not just doing change. Yeah. So I love your thinking about movement. Dig into that a little bit more for us, if you could, because that is like the epitome of driving change. Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, a lot of movements that like the one to uh, establish democracy and, and create the country known as America was, is a revolution. That is the form a lot of uh, movements take, is essentially people revolting against the current state, the status quo, and, uh, and asking for something different. And so those are kind of bottom-up movements, but there are top-down movements too. You know, when uh, I would say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and, and his role in uh, advancing the civil rights movement is a great example of a leader sort of harnessing, uh, you know, the, the conversation that's happening at a grassroots level, putting a name to it, bringing shape to it, and really putting energy into advancing the cause from the top down. And certainly with, uh, you know, the support of a lot of people and organizations that, that he was a part of. And, and you can think of change leadership in a very similar way. Uh, you know, it's that, that idea of the inciting incident 
movement often in the case of a movement is really a cry from the people and a leader i think first has to hear those cries you know you'll you'll hear when people want change to happen because it starts to come through in the complaints that they're you know that they're making or the questions that they're asking the sorts of things that they're craving and then you take note of that elevate what it is they're asking for and and you know again put a name to it uh put a story around it and and be an advocate for that change so you know in a, in a corporate setting uh sometimes this happens when uh there's a change in leadership or there needs to be a change in leadership and you know there's an outcry from the people uh you know we're headed in the wrong direction as a company a new leader gets installed and the first thing a great leader does is they listen to those people and they say what is it you need and then and then they uh sort of build a platform uh you know almost like the declaration of independence you know they they declare their vision they describe this is what the organization needs next they articulate that to people and now they're actually beginning to lead a movement in the direction of the change that they and the people want to see yeah and you and nancy and the, and the team talk about the shape of a movement um, and I, and I shared that great TED talk where she spoke about, you know, the, the, it looks like a New York skyline, you know, she talks about the hype cycle and, and the fact that a movement has its own shape. Like, tell our listeners a little bit about that, because I just love the way, you know, you guys go and describe that. Sure. Well, in her TED talk, she's talking about a moment in time, a piece of yeah. communication, like a great speech that that has sort of a rise and fall to it. And what that is, is it's the increasing of tension and the releasing of tension, which is uh, a uh, kind of a design principle, if you will, in storytelling. You know, if you watch a great movie or read a great story, there is tension in it and it is artfully constructed, you know, to uh, to sort of move you to make you feel things and so a great speech has this rising and falling shape but the truth is our lives have that too we have highs and lows emotional uh, peaks and valleys and a movement also has that and a movement really is ultimately a change journey you know movement is kind of a fancy word but really what it's describing is the process of change that people go through and it does actually have a, a common structure to it that has a rise and fall an, an emotional arc uh, as people undergo change and, and uh, move through it and would you say, oh i'm sorry Roz, go ahead sorry just quickly before we move on so would you say that's something that just happens or do you think from a leadership perspective that is something that you intentionally construct so the rise and the fall you know of the tension points like do you just say okay we're going to start this movement and see where it goes or you know, I'm interested in your philosophy at Duarte. Do you guys look at it and say, okay, we need to create these moments in order for this to be an effective movement? It's a great question. People will experience emotions throughout the course of change, whether you plan for it or not. You know, there will be moments when people are highly motivated, excited, uh, and ready to go or keep going. And there will be moments when people are resistant, uh, whether they're actively fighting you, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, refusing to participate or just more passively um, uh, disengaged or ambivalent about the change. Those are 
emotional realities. Uh, nobody is experiencing change as a purely analytical construct. You know, it triggers feelings in us. So we do feel excitement and joy at times. We feel fear. We feel anxiety. We feel hesitation. We feel caution. We feel courage. We feel all these things. But what we've discovered in researching movements and, and listening to how people experience change is that there is sort of a typical progression to that. And leaders can help people better cope with those feelings by uh, sort of uh, curating their communication, if you will, you know, shaping their communication to give people what they need at each stage of the journey. And you guys talk about this change journey, which I think is a really good way to kind of put a fine point on how people process it as you go through change. And I think you've broken it down to stages. Mm -hmm. um, and again, every stage has a certain dynamic to it. And every stage has a certain leadership leadership imperative to it um and they're not the same can you break down a little bit the stages that you guys think about in terms of a change journey and what what defines that particular stage and a little bit about what the challenge for a leader in that stage is yeah absolutely so what what i discovered in my research is that the change journey does have five stages and those five stages are organized into essentially three phases or three acts, if you think about it from a story perspective, which I think story actually does perfectly describe what change is like, because stories are about change anyway. So that was one of the uh, epiphanies in this research is that it actually mirrors the shape of a story. So in the first phase or first act of a change journey, uh, I describe the first two phases as the dream and the leap stages. And if you think about it, when you're trying to initiate a change effort, uh, nothing really happens until you describe to people what you're trying to do. And that's really the, the dream stage. What is your vision? Uh, where do you want people to go? And why is that important? You know, where to go, meaning what is your ideal outcome or end state that you're trying to create with this change effort? So that's the dream stage. And uh, I think what a lot of leaders get uh, confused about in the process of communicating change is that they think that they, they put most of their energy into communicating the vision. And no doubt it's an important moment, but what they don't realize is that's their job isn't done when they communicate the vision, because it's actually just the beginning of the change journey for everyone else. And that's when the leap stage comes in, because essentially people have a choice about whether they're going to help you make this change effort successful or not, especially employees, even though you know their jobs and paychecks may depend on it. So you assume that you have their buy-in, you're not necessarily going to get 100% of their effort if they don't fully support this change and don't see why it's good for them. So I think the imperative for leaders in those two stages is to communicate that vision really clearly, but in a, in a way that is resonant for the people that have to execute it, the people that will benefit from it. It needs to be relevant to them, needs to be compelling to them so that they're more likely to say, yes, I'm going to help you and, and leap in. So those are the first two stages. Then there's sort of the middle of the change journey, which is, of course, the hardest part. Uh, if you communicate really well in the leap stage, people will say, I'm going to jump in with you. But that's when they start to discover that this, this ish is really hard. <laughs> I just bleep myself. But the, the, the process of actually enacting the change is difficult. We never, just for the record, we never promise anybody this is a G-rated podcast. So you can <laughs> know, don't worry. 
all right, good. I don't have to be such a good girl. Well, yeah. so, so the middle of that change journey then is that second act, just like in a story, and the two stages there are what I call fight and climb. So the fight stage is what people experience when they start trying to enact the change. Uh, so they're going to uh, say you're asking them to adopt some new technology like digital transformation, which is something everybody's super excited about. Uh, well, it's hard. It's hard to replace manual processes with digital ones because it's changing not just the technology, but actual human behavior, for example. So what people will run into is obstacles in that process. The technology you're asking them to deploy is actually doesn't do everything you promised it would and kind of mad about it, or uh, you know they have to start doing their work in a totally different way and that's stressful and it takes more time. And so you could experience external uh, externally generated obstacles then, you know, like your customer saying, this is taking too long, or, you know, the, I'm not happy with how this is going, or your employees saying, this is more difficult than I thought, or you're not giving me what I need to be successful here, or simply even just, I'm afraid, and I'm, you know, I might fail. So I'm, you see them starting to drag their feet here, complain here, for a lot of valid reasons. Uh, but if you listen to that, uh, feedback and you give them more of what they need, more clarity, more support, more encouragement, better tools, then they're going to be more successful in overcoming those obstacles, which will take them to that fourth stage, which is the climb stage. The climb stage is effectively when you're actually starting to see some small wins. You're starting to see some progress. You're starting to get feedback that it's actually working. We're, we're headed in the right direction. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's, it, can be very motivating to people inherently when they see the quick wins. But if you're not sharing those wins, if they don't have visibility to what's actually working, or they're not hearing from people uh, who are seeing success, then it can be very demotivating. And it can feel like a real slog. And, and that's kind of the energy of this middle phase is it's just a struggle. And it can be very long and, uh, and draining. And so the leader's imperative, I think, in those stages are to, to listen, you know, to, to what people are actually struggling with, to give answers and support when it's needed, and encouragement, uh, to give people reasons to believe that this is worth continuing to do, and reasons to believe that they're actually going to be successful. And then that sort of uh, builds, that success and momentum continues to build if you're doing this well, executionally and in terms of your communication. And then you, you come to the final stage of the change journey, the third act of a story, uh, which we call the arrive stage. And arrive is kind of a conceptual construct because the reality of most change is it never is really done. You know, the, the civil rights movement is, is not something that we've, you know, check, put a check mark on and said it's been completed. It's an ongoing process. But it's important regardless of that, even in an internal effort. Maybe you've missed some of your goals. It's important to give people a sense of closure so that they know now I can stop that struggle because we're got, about to move on to the next struggle. Uh, and if you haven't kind of tied a bow around what you just asked people to do, then it just adds cognitive load. And it also um, kind of that just that open loop uh, is a stressful place to live. People need some closure. And so that's the leader's imperative there is to mark, mark that moment that we've come to the end of this annual cycle, we've come to the end of this project, we're maybe pivoting and rethinking it, going to try it a different way. But I'm going to celebrate what 
what we did accomplish. I'm going to acknowledge maybe what we didn't do so well, and I'm going to give you all a chance to kind of like regroup before we rush off to the next change effort. So I'm going to try to recap because there's so much goodness in there that I I want to extend our time for hours. Um, So dream, leap, fight, climb, arrive. Is that fair? Did I did I I get that generally right? Okay, good. Yes, A plus. Um, Each each of which kind of has different kind of conditions to it with as people kind of go through the journey and certainly comes with different leadership challenges to drive through that. So it's just such a precise way to break down the journey, right? To be able to say, hey, God, guys, you're going to go through change. Um, But now I can make sense of it. Like I can say, look, we're here or we're roughly transitioning from this stage to this stage and we got to get our heads around it so i it's just so precise to be able to bring that out so uh thank you for sharing that i would love to kind of dig into it. i'm going to ask you later where our, where our listeners can go to continue to dive into more but i'll park that over here for now because i think Roz has some good questions that we want to fire away at you yes before we go on i just i love your point about um that you know communicating the vision is not enough Um, And then the communication side, because in my time, you know, over the 20 plus years in in different size corporates, I cannot tell you how many times I have the conversation with a CEO or leadership team to say, this vision might be clear in your head, but you've been sitting in a boardroom for six months. You've come on the journey. Now you're going to communicate it, you know, in a two hour or even a one day workshop with the team. And then you expect them to get on with it. So it's, it is that case of like, you've got to take people along with you, you know, and that's, I think something so many leaders take for granted. They go, well, I've got the vision. I've communicated it beautifully. You know, off you go. And then you made another point, which is people getting demotivated along the way. And I think, as leaders, we can also go, well, you know, either you're in this or you aren't, like, are you being resistant? Um, And it is important to take a step back and go, hang on, you know, it could just be confusion or fear, you know, and it's not the person that's the problem, but maybe myself as a leader needs to do, you know, a few more steps or step back a little bit. So I love the fact that you guys focus on that in coaching, you know, your your clients to to handle that. And I think, um, you know, Duarte is known for, its expertise in communications and storytelling. Um, And we're big fans of storytelling. We had a a wonderful guest on our show, Ellen Windermuth, who was the executive producer of My Octopus Teacher. I don't know if you've seen it. It's the- Oh, fantastic movie. Yeah, and she was just, so she's so, I mean, she's the executive producer. So she's one of the best storytellers and just told that magnificent story about an octopus. But she really also honed in on the art of storytelling as the key to to success in any relationship and, and, um, you know, interaction in life. And, you know, as a comms person, I'm so acutely aware of the, the impact of language and the words that you choose. And sometimes we don't think that this word's better than that word, but actually you've got to be so intentional about the language that you choose. Um, And I'd love you to just share with us on, you know, how you help people think about the critical importance of of language when leading companies and teams. Yeah, well, words definitely matter. They carry a lot of uh, meaning. And uh, you know, the one way to think about it is that every great movement started with an impassioned plea for a reason. You know, somebody grabbed a microphone and said, you know, this needs to change. And, and that, that 
is important because that communication really frames people's understanding of where you currently are and where you need to get to, which Nancy talks about in her TED Talk and, and that approach to speech making that's very persuasive is uh, words define our understanding of a situation. I mean, we might have our own internal experience of a situation, but when a leader names it, uh, puts language around it, uh, it's it brings clarity, you know, to describe what it is and also where, you know, what we want to change about it. Uh, but it's also a, it's a strategic act uh, to this, this idea of framing, uh, to, to choose your words to label the current situation that people are experiencing in so that they can see it in the most helpful way. I, I mean, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, you might be hearing lots of frustration from people uh, in, in the midst of a change effort and acknowledging that frustration and then putting a label on it. Like, look, I understand that it's what we're experiencing right now is, is a lot of difficulty and frustration. And that is, uh, you know, a, a, a likely, there's a typical byproduct of this sort of disruptive change we're all going through. You know, a word like that, disruptive, uh, puts a label on what people are experiencing and recognizes the turmoil uh, and, and chaos that they might be feeling. But it's also saying that's that's kind of uh, what we can expect with the sort of change we're trying to make. And, and here's why we need disruptive change in this industry. Here's why we need to disrupt the status quo. I'm picking on that one word. And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody's message should be it's about disruption because it's scary to people, too. But the point is that words can uh, are labels for things and they help us understand a situation. You, you used a word that I, I have a little bit of pet peevish about so I'll, I'll say it that way um but i'm happy bro but, well no no i actually agree with you so i say this is not going to be a negative thing but framing things right i actually think it's a huge opportunity for leaders to actually pause and think about an overarching arc of what they're about to do right i, I mm -hmm. work with uh in our change practice we work with a lot of more research-minded people who want to describe facts and they want to kind of get the get the nuts and bolts out there and we're often saying hey whoa time out like th that doesn't matter just yet right context is important and we use the word framing a lot so i want to zero on that word framing because i think i i because i don't care if anybody else wants to hear it i want to hear your perspective on framing um like how do you guys think about that as you work with people to kind of get change communication right and think about that pause moment which to me is where you've got to frame a bigger stronger arc in order to be able to not just get into fact mode too fast yeah, well, that's that's really about creating a strategic narrative, you know, to use buzzwords in the communication world. But a narrative is is kind of like a frame story. It's a story about where you are, where where you're going, why that's so important, and that is something that you need to nail, articulate. What is that that narrative about? you know, your organization, this change effort you're trying to drive. And then that is the piece of communication that you need to reiterate over and over again, like Roz was saying, uh, in the beginning, in the middle, in the end, you know, people, so they don't get lost and forget why we're doing this in the first place. But storytelling principles, storytelling structure are, uh, are really important to use in writing that kind of a narrative, because it does uh, lead you to crafting communication that's not just analytically, um, sound but also emotionally effective and you know stories are 
uh, are a really potent way to communicate ideas because they do stimulate emotions for us. Uh, you know, stories make us feel things. When we're you're telling a story of, for instance, about in the course of a change effort about uh, you know some problems that your customers are experiencing and why those are uh, indicators that you need to do something differently than what you've been doing in the past. I mean, those are specific stories you can tell. But the minute I start telling you that the reason I want to make this change is because you know Betty's business is 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 failing because everything that we're doing for her is unsuccessful you know our product isn't working the way it should you know it's costing her too much time and money now I feel some empathy for Betty I feel some connection to her and all the other customers who are experiencing that and I feel more motivated to do something different than if you're just telling me I need to change the way we do things in this company because it's going to increase our profit margins you know that's not inherently motivating to me as an employee. No, I love it. That's exactly it, right? We had a guest on, another guest on the podcast, uh, Roz Manson, Nell and Windemuth, but we had uh, Cassandra Worthy on it, who has kind of positioned her whole world as being the world's leading change enthusiast. And she breaks down, uh, she has a slightly different way of breaking down this emotional journey of change along the way. And you guys, I know, have a big passion around empathy, right? And I think you just kind of teed it up a couple of times saying, uh, Perhaps, I don't know if you would say it this way, but I'll, I'll say it this way and you could agree or disagree. Um, leaders in times of change, some are wired to lean into the empathetic, some are wired into maybe lean into the more the classic, let's drive change and we'll figure out the feelings later. Um, this notion of saying, how do you really make sure? So as you coach teams and in the, your consulting work and in, uh, how you frame up a lot of the uh, frameworks that you guys use, uh, talk a little bit about how you position empathy uh, as a key characteristic to drive that forward. Yeah, it's so fundamental to what we call the Duarte method, which is a way of uh, uh, kind of crafting your communication to make it more effective, to make it resonate with people. And the first step in that process in any of our uh, working sessions is let's talk about who you're trying to move. Who is this audience you're trying to persuade? What do they currently think and feel? And where do you want to move them to by the end of this moment of interaction with them? How do you want to change what they're thinking and feeling? And that's uh, you know, it's, it's not, uh, what do I want to say? It's important to me, it's part of my life philosophy that, uh, uh, you know, humans bring their stuff to everything that they do. And, and, you know, you're going to be more successful if you think about them and what they're trying to accomplish or what they're thinking and feeling uh, that I, you know, be more successful in motivating them. But I think leaders start to get it when they realize that, especially when it's a change effort and your say employees are the ones who are actually going to be enacting the change. When we do that couple of exercises about these uh, employee stakeholder groups and what they're currently thinking and feeling about this change, what you need them to think and feel, they usually have an aha, the leaders do, an epiphany that says, wow, I never thought about it that way. And it never occurred to me that what they might need to hear from me right now is something really different than what I intended to communicate. So it's you know, a moment where the scales fall off their eyes, you know, and they start to actually uh, understand why maybe they've been seeing the resistance that they've been seeing. Uh, but it's, you know, whether you're leading a big change effort or uh, just communicating to your team, uh, you know, a progress update, I, I fundamentally believe that empathy is necessary to make that communication land well. Because the more you uh, articulate what you're trying to do in terms that matter to them, the more they're going to listen the more likely they're going to remember what you told them and feel intrinsically motivated to do something about it. 
which is a fundamental of any human relationship, right? For a relationship to be developed, you need to feel heard and understood. And, you know, and that brings, I know we don't love each other at work, but there's a feeling of I feel valued and loved because actually I'm, I, they care about me and, and they care what I think. So, you know, I've got a, I've got a two-year-old and I'm, I'm reading lots of books on how I need to do more listening than talking. So <laughs> I just can't help but thinking as we're talking about uh, the corporate world, it actually just, it, it goes across all relationships, right? It really does. And it should, uh, but some people don't naturally think that way. And I remember one time I was giving a talk about this topic of Illuminate and I emphasized empathy, empathy and somebody came up from the audience at the end of my talk and asked me a question. He said, what if... I think he was an engineer, very analytical. And he said, what if you don't care how other people <laughs> think or feel? <laughs> and, I, and it really stumped me for a second. I thought, wow, it just never occurred to me that that would be true. But okay, look, for let's setting that aside, maybe you're a sociopath, maybe, I don't know. But may, if you don't care. I, um, I know lots of people in big corporates that would say something like that. <laughs> that I, you know, I, I guess there are people with that perspective. And I said, well, think about it this way. It's almost like a, a math problem, you know, to get a certain output. What is the input? You know, it's, uh, I, I can give you some data that will uh, hopefully convince you that, you know, persuasion is a two-way communication. I don't even need a lot of data to persuade you of that. Here we are. You know, I, I talk, you listen, then you talk and I listen. So there's an inherent need to listen and to understand that other person a little bit theoretically so that you can say the thing that they're interested in hearing next. Uh, and so what I was trying to say to him is, like, even if you don't personally care about that person, I get it. But if you have a goal you're trying to achieve and that other person is somehow involved in you achieving that goal, then at minimum, you ought to do a little work to understand them and what will uh, convince them that they should help you achieve that goal. And uh, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to have more to do with something that's important to them than something that's important to you. Great. And Patty, you have a new book coming out on the 19th of October on virtual communications. What can our listeners expect from this wonderful new book we're all waiting for? Well, building on this theme of empathy, uh, the subtitle for the book, the title is Presenting Virtually, and it's uh, about communicating and connecting with online audiences. And uh, what, what I think we struggle with a lot of us humans in this new virtual world is uh, getting past the technology that's between us. Uh, and despite these physical barriers and this physical distance between us, building a relationship learning how to uh, relate to this distant online audience better by using the tools well, but also just using fundamental, fundamentally good communication practices like understanding your audience, empathizing with what they might be distracted about as they're trying to listen to your online talk while at the same time their dog is barking and the kid's tugging at the leg, you know, their email is pinging, somebody texted them. The, the, one of the biggest challenges is uh, it's very distracting and it's hard. It's hard for us to stay focused as 
as audiences in this format. And so what I propose is some techniques and a methodology that presenters can use to better understand that and then adapt the way they deliver, adapt the way they craft their content, their visuals, and their own delivery so that they can make that experience more engaging for their audience, make it easier for them to pay attention to you, make your talk more interesting for them, and make it more likely that they're going to feel uh, connected to you at the end. Fantastic. Looking so forward we'll, to reading it. We'll make sure we drop a link to uh, where they can maybe pre-order or buy the book once it once it drops in October. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and I also want to just dig in. You had told me, and I, I, I think it may have come up right before we were prepping for this. Um, you always knew you wanted to do something with words. So So how's that working out for you? <laughs> well, it's definitely part of my everyday work. Yeah. Coming from a family of writers, orators, uh, I feel like I've found my destiny and it's quite uh, an honor to be able to talk with people like you about words and story and, and influence. Well, I would just, I, and, I, and I threw that at you as a curveball, but I, I would challenge every leader that listens to our podcast, pause and think about what the words you are saying communicate, right? Particularly in times of dynamic rapid crisis, you know, there's a lot of personality stud studies that, you know, that you can do assessments on and it, it, a couple of versions of them do them in a way of saying, this is what I'm normally like, and this is what I'm like during times of crisis. Um, and oftentimes the thing that gets lost in the translation of those is the impact of words and what you're saying and how you're driving yeah. to. And so uh, I, I just love that you think about the world in terms of the words and how they move people. Um, my notes are full. Uh, I, I often say in these podcasts that uh, depending on how many random things I scribble down on my pad is just the, how much stuff is flying around in these. I've got things like always pause and ask yourself, who are you trying to move? Like who are you trying to move as you communicate? This notion of um, being able to kind of uh, do something with words and finding the inciting incident, which has to be from the cries of the people, the, the five stages of the journey of change along the way. We talked about framing a little bit. So um, I also wanted to let you kind of riff a little bit. We kind of touched on Illuminate and I'm not sure we've done it justice. If, if one of our listeners wanted to dig into more about what you guys think about in, in that concept, where, where should they go to learn more? Absolutely. Well, Illuminate is the book that I've been referencing in this conversation, and it is available on Amazon. We also have a training workshop based on it that helps people craft, plan and craft their communication for a change effort. And uh, it's it's a five-year-old book, and it's been fascinating to see how much traction it's getting again in the midst of this pandemic, because I think we're all realizing that change uh, is everywhere. It's constant. It's also difficult. And so we need more tools to help us guide people through it. And I hope illuminate is that for you cool Roz any final thoughts from you before I close this out no I'm good it's just been wonderful to have you Patty and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the book and and staying engaged with the work you guys are doing I actually have one question do, are you guys doing anything in the immersive space like in VR have you got any plans for that because you know, I, I'm doing quite a lot of work with another client and, we, you know, they're really in the VR space, you know, five years ahead of us. And I just think you spoke about like this, this remote communication and, you know, communicating through technology. And I'm just thinking once people get into VR and headsets and, and you know, presenting there, that brings on a whole new challenge of getting through technology and being able to develop relationships. So is that on your roadmap? 
It is very much. Yes. And, uh, you know, we've we've got our little Oculus headsets and been doing some tests and uh, there will certainly be something to share about that in the future, perhaps not the immediate future, because I've got a book to talk about for the next week or or two. Uh, But yeah, for sure, it's on a roadmap. And I think it'll be really supportive to people, especially who are afraid of presenting to have a a sort of a safe environment to practice in, which is one way we're thinking about it. So I think as we get through the one thing, is it how to present and communicate? The next thing's coming. It never stops, right? The, it doesn't. Oh, you mean change ends. never ends? Exactly. That's exciting at the same time. But it's lovely to, to, to meet you and have you on the show. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, I really loved it. Very fun. Thank you so much, Patty. Thank you so much. Good luck in everything you guys are doing and good luck with the book launch. I'm sure we will all be, be buying copies and uh, making notes because there's so many nuggets in there that will be a great benefit to any leader. I hope it's a great help to many. Thank you so much. Thanks, Patty.